0: Still makes me cry. Good morning, Freedom Center. Good to see you You guys. Ready to get in the word today? So, I'm supposed to share a story with you. I have no idea how it attaches to the sermon today, but can I just be obedient for about two minutes and I'll go back to being normal? When my oldest son Joshua was about three years old, um, we were really involved in, well, we were youth pastors and we were involved with missionaries and orphanages and things just across the border in Mexico. And every Christmas, Uh, Just before Christmas, we would go down to Mexico with a U-Haul truck and illegally cross the border. (laughs) It's not hard to do it that way. It's hard coming back. But going that way, there's no one really blocking you. And so we would take a U-Haul full of stuff through the desert Um, and it was just loaded with gifts and toys and food. We had a deal with a local Walmart that if somebody returned something, they would give them a full refund for it, but then they wouldn't sell it. They would just give it away to the local Goodwill. What people were doing was they were taking tagged clothes from Goodwill they paid 50 cents for and then returning them to Walmart again for $17.98. So Walmart caught on to it, and we found out that they were just trying to get rid of clothes and food and all this, I said, hey, we'll take it all, will it ever come back? I'm like, it will never come back. You will never see this again. And so a truck full of tagged, brand new merchandise and food and gifts going across the border several times a year. It's a wonder we didn't end up in a, in a Mexican prison. But uh, by the grace of God, we got to bless a lot of kids. And my little, my little boy, who was just three years old at the time, my oldest son, Josh, JD had not even been born yet. Um, he, I, I remember distinctly that, you know the metal ramp that goes down the back of the U-Haul truck? It's, it's, a, it's sunrise in the desert, and it's dusty. It's like, I mean, ever like, Sand drywall, you know the boogers that I'm talking about. There's boogers you get like just every day, but then there's like attached to the hairs that are attached to the back of your skull, and your eyes cross when you try to. Never mind, it's too much. But that it was one of those deals, and I remember him in his onesie outfit walking down that long metal ramp with a stocking in each hand, and handing these stockings to these these kids. These little bitty, dirty face, no shoes, some of them no clothes. And, and he'd walk back up again, and he'd grab more stockings and bring it down. Now, the rest of the story is that many of the toys that were in those stockings were his toys. His birthday is November 27th, so he's a, he's a Thanksgiving baby. And December you know, 15th, we're in Mexico getting everybody ready for Christmas with the food and so forth. So what I did is I went to my three-year-old son and I said, we're going to be going to Mexico and I want you to go through your toy box. How many of you, guys ever, you know what a three-year-old only child toy box looks like with grandparents? You know what I'm talking about? It's overflowing and there's Happy Meal breakage and there's, there's batteries and things have been torn off and this, there's, there's, a, there's an ear to a Mr. Potato Head and you have no idea, you've never owned a Mr. Potato Head, but there's an ear and a set of lips with a mustache on it. You know what, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, three-year-olds. Tell me where it came from. He must have brought home from a friend's house in his pocket or something. And, and I said, now get this, get this clear it all out. I, I, everything that you don't want, you, or everything you want to give away, I want you to, to put in another pile. Well, what he did is he left the Mr. Potato Head in the Happy Meal and he grabbed the brand new toys he'd just gotten for his birthday and he made a pile out of them. And I said, as a good parent that just spent all the money I had on that Chinese garbage, I said, buddy, you sure you want to do that? I mean, let's be practical. This toy requires batteries. The children you give it to don't have the money for batteries. It'll only work for a couple hours, and then it'll just be a piece of broken plastic. I, I, are you sure you want to? And, and, I, and this one right here. Let's look at the Happy Meal stuff. Look at the, this pile here. Let's give them the Happy Meal stuff because you know you wind it up and it could get across or whatever. It's Batman. It's whatever the promotion was. Why don't you do that? And I never forget what my son said to me at three years old. How many guys know children are wiser than their parents sometimes? He said, Dad. I have all of this, and they have nothing. I want to give them my best. How can, how can I not give them when I have so much? Have you ever been, like, ashamed of yourself? <laughs> how many guys are glad, like, churches have altars for moments just like this? And I, I, I'm not sure exactly yet how my, that story plays into this, but I was supposed to tell you that, that sometimes... I, I, giving is the most natural thing when you're a child because I don't think you worry about what's coming next or what's gone before. I don't think you worry about lack. I don't think you worry about, am I going to run out of it? I think you just, you just understand in your little three-year-old heart there's something beautiful, something powerful, something meaningful about taking your best, about taking what you have, about taking what's come your way. It was a blessing to you, and you've played with it for two weeks, but now you want to pass it on. And I think we lose that sometimes as an adult. So as we talk about giving today, would you do me a favor? Don't don't be an evangelical American congregation that thinks I'm here for your money. Maybe, Maybe what we should all do is walk into a little cabin in Prescott, Arizona, into a little tiny room that didn't have a heater in it, and look into the toy box of our own life and realize that there might be something better than having a pile full of crap. Did I just say that in church? All right, let's start the sermon. Let's start the sermon. Oh, and I'm supposed to say this, no service Thursday night because everybody's coming to our house to get a bunch of garbage. So um, we, we usually have Thursday night service. We have not missed a Thursday night service since its foundation. <sighs> but, and it's right here in Bay, I should have said this first. But this, this Thursday night, there's only one time per year that the world comes to us and says, will you give me something? I want us in our community, guys. Is that okay? I, I, it's gonna be raining. Let's, let's have bonfires. Let's, let's welcome children. So I, I live out in the country. Can I come to church? Yes, come to my house. We'll have church, and we'll give out Snickers bars and Three Musketeers bars, but this is the one time per year that the world comes. I, I just hate it when the church locks themselves. They leave their lights off at home turn their lights on inside of a building that people aren't in. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's go out into the world and be a salt and light. Somebody say amen. Jesus said it. You are the Snickers bar of the world. And if a snicker bar is hidden, then no one's going to get fat. So let's, let's, I King James that one a little bit. King Jim did. Um, so today we're going to go back to really a teaching on finance, but the polar opposite of last week. you remember what the topic was last week? What did we talk about last week? Somebody help me. Yeah. Dad, wow, that was so exciting. Thank you. And we met a guy whose name, it has a lot of M&Ms in it, right? What was his name? Yeah. Mammon. Yeah, Mammon. And Mammon, thank you. Who said that? Snickers bar to you. I'm telling you. Buzz, that was awesome. So we are, we are looking at um, how to basically mammon-proof, debt-proof, excess-proof, uh, hoard-proof, covet-proof our lives. We, we started with the end of chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking. We're going to go back up to the beginning of chapter 6 and look at chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. You guys ready to get in the Word? Come on, somebody say amen. Good, because we can't do it Thursday night, so we've got to do it today, All right. do not store up, now underline this, say it with me, do not store up, what? For yourselves. Treasures on earth where moths and vermin rust and all that kind of stuff and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I want to be very careful at the outset of this to teach you something. Today's going to be a teaching day. You guys okay with teaching? I'm not going to preach. It may not be funny, but if you'll fill up your head, I believe God will build a bridge to your heart and change your life. So... For yourselves, I think is one of the key phrases in this. Because we say don't store up anything, that's not what Jesus said. Proverbs talks about storing up an inheritance for your children's children, how a good man stores up wealth for the next generation. It talks about in the house of the wise, there's choice, oil, and, and plenty of bread, um, but the fool gobbles it all down. So the Bible is pro-savings. Everybody say Pro-savings. It's, it's, it's pro rainy day. It's pro being prepared. It's pro, you know, not being a burden on your children, but being a blessing to your children and your children's children. So it, it's very much so about a managing wealth wisely. Do you agree with that? Or is that true? Do you see that? So when Jesus says don't store up, he's not, he's not negating or contradicting the wisdom of the Old Testament. He's letting us know something. There's a reason to store up that is right, and there's a reason to store up that is wrong. And the thing that makes this wrong is it's, it's completely centered on myself. Do not store up pointing all the arrows, all the assets, all the dreams, all the desires, all the wants, all the covet with you. There's something greater than you to be a part of that three-year-olds know that sometimes we forget. So don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because this place is temporary and he who dies with the most toys does not win. He who dies having given the most. He who dies having invested in generations. He who has fed the most. Literally, how many of you guys know in eternity, it won't matter what kind of car you drove. It'll matter who you fed. It won't matter what kind of house you lived in. It'll matter who found hospitality in it. It won't matter how beautiful our church is. It'll matter who, did the kingdom of God come to a group of people or not in that building. Somebody say amen. So don't start for yourselves. Like be careful of all the arrows pointing at When you plan for the future, When you look at your monthly budget, when you look at the people around you, be careful to always include God's heart in the equation as the first number to be added, not the last thing to see if there's anything left over. We begin with God's heart. Seek first his what? And his his kingdom and his righteousness, and then what happens? Well, then we get to drive a nice car, I guess. I mean, all these other things, whatever these things are, God's going to bless us with them. So we start with seed, we end with fruit. We start with investment, we end with return. We start with the beginning. Jesus is in control of the middle, and in the end, everything's cool. So don't store up for yourselves. Secondly, he says this, verse 20, but store up what? For yourselves. Now, now again, hear me. He says don't store up for, for yourselves, but it is okay to store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. This is interesting. Where moths and vermin don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what he's just done is this. Please, please hear me I, and open your mind to this. There is a purpose and a reason for the money in our pockets and the wealth in our, in our hands. It is, it is not only to feed you, bless you, take care of you, shelter you, clothe you. Uh, does this make sense? Jesus promises all of those things. But that's not the only reason he puts resource within our grasp. There's a, there's an eternal investment that is important, not today so much. That's going to feel like a drain today. God sometimes asks us for things today that won't make sense until tomorrow. And God sometimes asks us for things today that won't make sense at all in this life. The death of Jesus Christ, crucified as a common criminal on a cross, doesn't make any sense until there's a resurrection and then it all comes together. Sometimes the sacrifices we're called to don't make any sense until we see what God does with them. So, Jesus opens our hearts and our minds to the kingdom perspective, not just the earthly perspective. There, there's a way to store up for yourself. If you really want to be selfish, don't just invest in your 401k. Nothing wrong with 401ks. Matter of fact, there's a million things right with 401ks. Somebody please say amen. So, we're up for ourselves. But I, it's okay. I have social security. I think, I think it's a wise decision. I think that the government has always done a brilliant job managing money. You should rest assured that your $17,000 a year is going to be more than enough to take care of you for the next 40 years. Or maybe not. Right? So I'm all about 401Ks. But Jesus isn't talking about this life. He's talking about more than this life. A kingdom perspective never ends when I retire. It never ends when I die. It's eternity. That's what's important. And he continues. Look at this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this, he's making this connection of the stuff that's really valuable to you. You treat differently. You know, a, a, a book that, you know, uh, someone says, here, I got you this book. And, you know, okay, pictures, there's a scratch and sniff section on the back, whatever goes on the shelf. But someone says, this is your great, 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 great grandmother's journal where she details her dreams up to the fourth and fifth generation. You're in this book. And I just know they both might be made out of paper. They both might be bound with leather. But one is priceless and one is average. Why? because you value one differently. Now, if that's yours, your great-great-great-grandmother's, it's still cool, but it doesn't mean the same thing to me that it does to you. Things have different value. Where your treasure is, you'll protect your treasure. You value your treasure differently. I like what Eugene Peterson did in the message translation. He says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you'll most want to be. And in the end, you'll end up being there. So if my treasure is all about not just this life and its pleasures... But it's about what God's heart is for others, what God's agenda is for others. I will never regret, hear me, I will never regret a single dollar given as those dollars converted into lost souls being found, ever. Because for all eternity, I get to enjoy the fruit of paper with dead presidents on it becoming eternity for people with Jesus. I don't know what's been done by my giving. I'll be really honest with you, and I'll be more honest with you, you don't know what's been done with your giving. You don't know what's been done with your taxes, so don't complain, right? It, it just, we, we don't know how far it went. We don't know who it fed. We don't know what the end result was. I have been shocked multiple times in my lives where I thought I did one simple thing, only to come back a year later and find out a profound effect came from that one moment that meant almost nothing to me. We were in um, San Ignacio, Mexico on a missions trip, and we had this World War II sound horn with a giant magnet in the back. We stuck it on top of the van, and I am so ingenious with electronics and so good with technology, as we all know so well, that I, I took the speaker wires out of the back of the church van, and, and, and with some tape, put some longer ones, and put it on the end of this horn. That became our sound system. The van was our sound system for playing the music for the human videos we were doing. Don't laugh, human videos were very cool when I was a kid. They're not anymore, but they were really cool back then. And one day, this piece of World War II surplus died for no good reason. We wiggled it. We hit it with a hammer. We prayed over it. It would not come back to life. We have an outreach on the town square in San Ignacio any moment. It was kind of a a spiritual darkness. We'd kind of been cursed, and people were kind of after us and whatever. And and as as we're getting ready to start, I'm like, well, I'll just just get a crowd if we can. I'll just juggle. I'll light your hair on fire. I'll break bricks with your face. Or whatever we got to do to draw a crowd. And then we'll tell them about Jesus through our translator. Just as I'm getting ready to do this, this guy comes walking down the street with a speaker on each shoulder. Now, how many guys know an opportunity when it, it approached? I walked, I said, hermano, hermano. I'm, he's not my brother, but I'm like, "Say, hey, we're good friends. Not amigo, hermano, we're familia. You know, come here. Ven aquí, hermano. And he comes over, and, and I'm saying, hey, these, he, and, and I'm, I'm using mime, these are no work so I steal your speaker-o. Bueno? He's like, I, I, it's okay, it's K-O. And I get the speaker to hook we do the outreach, and it, it isn't a great one. He takes the speakers. So we say mucho, Garcias, he goes, de noter, and off he goes. A year later, that's on that's the Baja Peninsula, a year later, we're in the, the Mexican state of Sonora, and we're at Second Assembly of God, believe it or not, they have Second Assemblies. First Assembly, what's the second church name? Second Assembly, it's like, okay, could have called it Bethel like everybody else, but Second Assembly works too. You know, And the youth pastors, they're having a revival amongst the young people. Kids are getting saved left and right. They're coming out of the barrios and the colonias, out of drugs and gangs. And if you understand Sonora, the northern part of Mexico, even back in the, the 80s and 90s, it was a very violent, very difficult place. And these kids are coming to Christ in droves. As we heard the testimony of the youth pastor, he said, I can't explain it. I knew nothing of God. I was raised a certain way, but it meant nothing to me. He said, one day I took a pair of speakers that I had stolen and I was walking through the town square when a group of gringos said, "Hey, let us have your speakers." And they told me about Jesus. I gave my life to Christ. And he said I had to move away from San Ignacio because of the debts that I owed and the people I was the organization. And he said I I fled here. When I got here, I found this church, and then maybe the youth pastor. And now kids are coming to Christ. How many of you guys know you just don't know what's going to happen? You just have no idea what's going to happen, right? So he says this. Listen, if people are valuable, you'll find your treasure there. If your kids are valuable, you'll find most of your treasure there. And when you have grandkids, just don't even worry about treasure anymore because the grandkids become the... It's got to be Miss Pat. I do it, right? He keeps going. Listen, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now understand, he talks about the eye. He's not talking about the physical optical receptor in your head. He's talking about the way you see life. And, and these words, I'm not making this up. Look at any translation. Look at little notes in the bottom. Look at the original language. It may sound like, like, what does that even mean? He's trying to make a point. He's using a, um, an allegory. He's using a parable, if you will, about the way we see physically and the way we see spiritually. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, in other words, if you see the world around you with a generous light, I, I just see need. I see abundance. I see reciprocity. I see seeds. I see fruit. I, just, I, I see what three-year-olds see when they look at their toy box. He says, then your whole body will be full of light. Again, the body and the they're talking about the physical body, some of your life, your that which has life in it will be an abundant thing. But he says, if your eyes are unhealthy, if you're squinty, stingy, you're scroogish, you, you look at people suspiciously, and, and that guy with the sign doesn't doesn't really want to work for food, he just wants a handout, and that mother says, you know, my kids need diapers, is lying. I, you know, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's Life that's in you will not really be living at all. If then the light within you is darkness, man, how miserable is that of a way to live? You hear what Jesus is saying? And then he goes on and he continues by saying you can't serve two masters. He, he, we kind of went to the second part of his this teaching on, on money and then came back to this part. For whatever reason, I didn't go to Bible college, blame the professors I never had, okay? But I think what, he, what, I, what I want you to see is this. He's talking about, like, live this way plant this way. Look at life this way. Your eyes should look at, at everything in the world around you this way. And be careful, because if you don't live this way, there's this dude called Mammon, the Assyrian god of avarice, the, the synonym of covetousness and wanting more and more. I'm, I'm every, you know, a multimillionaire. How much more money do you need? Just another million. Just another, just another deal. Just another, right? And how many people lose it trying to get the next whatever it was? Please hear me. Jesus is mammon-proofing the lives of his followers, by saying this. You don't live this way. You live this way. This is the way to abundance. This is the way to lack. This is the way to life. This is the way to death while you're still alive. So I want to go back to the thought, one thought and all this teaching on money, and and I want to have 11 minutes. How many of you guys believe I can end the service on time today? Was that you, Jack Cheek? Did you laugh like that? Wow, I feel closer to you now for some reason than I did just a moment ago, right? And I will ask this question, what would an eternal investment look like? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What, what would that, I mean, what do three-year-olds know? And, and what don't they know about eternity? What, what can we learn from a three-year-old with toys and yet from an adult perspective that has a view of the vaporous nature of our own lives and how quickly they come and how quickly they go? What can we do to have a great perspective on this? We're going to focus on three areas in the Bible. We're going to look at the ministry, the mission, and and those that are in need. Why? Because these are places where Jesus has attached promises. Everybody, please hear me. This is where Solomon and Jesus and Paul and Peter, they're, they're going to speak and say, listen, from God's perspective, this is what it's all about. This is how it functions this is how it works. Now, sometimes it isn't how it works. It's just you do this, you don't understand it, but this is what happens when you do. And we're going to take a good look at that. So let's look at each one separately. Let's look at the, the ministry. Uh, and by the ministry, what I mean is this. There, there's a certain amount of, of let's just do this because I don't want you to get ahead. There's a certain amount of resource that we come together on a regular basis and, and we, we put kind of our predetermined percentage into an offering. We do it online. We do it in a bucket. But the purpose of that, as I understand it biblically, is that there, there's a, a ministry that includes vocational ministers. There's a ministry that includes today, unfortunately, things like electric bills and insurances and um, payments on property and repaving parking lots and church vans that go down dirt roads and need to be washed and gassed up. So when I say the ministry, what I'm talking about is the ongoing um what it takes to have a church in a community. Does that make sense? You guys still here? Okay. So the ministry. Look what Paul says about this. First Corinthians chapter nine it says, "Don't you know that those who served in the temple get their food from the temple?" He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. Those there's twelve tribes of Israel. One of the tribes was they didn't, they weren't allowed property. They didn't have land that they could farm. Their their purpose was to stand between a holy God and a a sometimes holy, sometimes sinful nation and, and make the offerings to God so the nation could be blessed. They taught them. They, uh, they're kind of a precursor to the synagogues and the rabbis, and then I guess to, to today the pastors and so forth. So don't you know that those who serve at the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what's offered at the altar. So if you sacrificed a lamb, there was certain accounting in Leviticus where you could put a fork into a pot and you could pull out a certain amount of meat. You got to take that meat home and feed Betty and Pebbles and Bam Bam and everybody, right? Um, And what he's referring to is the tithes of Israel given for the upkeep of the temple and support of the priests and the priesthood. Now, hear me. Um and I want to be very careful on how I say this. I always try to be because I know people have been trained sometimes forcefully, sometimes loosely, sometimes rebelliously. I I don't want to know about this. But when it comes to the tithe, my personal conviction, and I I support and respect yours, my personal conviction is that we are no longer required by law to give 10% of our gross income to a local church or to a temple. I think that the law of tithing is inferior to what Jesus has introduced to us through the new covenant and the law of love. Allow me to prove it to you. How many guys look at your bill to the IRS every month and they go, if only I could give more? Why? Because it's a bill. So we don't pay everything we can. We only pay as little as we can before we get in trouble. Does that make sense? The speed limit. How many guys drove down US 23 to get here today? Let me see your hand. The speed limit on US 23 is what? 70. How fast did you go? He just left. I don't, I don't know what that means. But you didn't go 90. And you probably didn't go 70. Why is that? Because somewhere between 90 and 70, there's this magic number called 78. And the reason we go 78 is because somebody taught us that the police won't pull you over unless you're going at least 10 over. You're a retired police officer. Kim, is that true or false? It's true. Oh, you're supposed to say false and make everybody nervous. It is true. Depends on the budget of the county. I get it. Yeah, all right. We need more money. Kim, go get them. Bring them in. Amen. Amen. I'm just here to tell you guys, whatever, whatever the situation is, the reason we chose to give as little as we could and do as most we could before we got in trouble is because what we're focusing on is law. Law always makes you ask the, that simple question. What's the least I can do before there's a consequence? What's the most I can do before there's a consequence? Does this make sense? Love has no such restriction. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my friends. I even love some of you. So I don't ask what's the percentage I have to do before I'm in trouble and forget whatever the need was. I simply ask what's the need. And if I can't meet it, then I ask other people who care about you, other people who care about them, other people who care about it, and I ask them to partner with me until the need is met. How many of know what I'm talking about? So, but Paul's gonna do something with with the Old Testament foreshadowing of what I believe is the new covenant rule, uh, the law of love, not the law of law, the law of love, um, and, and he says this, he goes, the Lord has commanded, in the same way, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. He says, well, oh, I don't know, man, I, I, I guess. I, I've had people ask me, I've been doing this for 25 years here and 35 years overall, and people say, so when you're not, you know, here on Sunday, what do you do for a living? And I always try to very patiently say, oh, there's other things that you have to do when you're a pastor. Really? Did you, like, set up the chairs? <laughs> After all the fourth question, I go, yeah, I set up the chairs, and I vacuum. That's, well, that's what do you do the other part of the week. Well, you know, there's some other things that pastors do. You know, we go to book clubs and <laughs> water ski. you know, things like that. <laughs> the neat thing about this is when we collectively put together our resources for the, the ministry, if you will, that right now, someone who had the whole week to plan the children's outreach, to go last night to Lake Fenton to blow up inflatables for their, their school uh, outreach community event, and down there right now in three different areas, three fours and fives, first through fifth grade, and nursery, we have people down there right now that got to focus their attention and their time this week on blessing our kids. That tonight, 150, 200 students will show up here tonight, and a full-time youth pastor Who's calling and hard has been, it has been obvious to others. And it wasn't to me until in the last year or so as they started to call it out, because he's my son. Sometimes we don't see in our own kids what other people can see, they're looking at it from a different perspective. But Pastor JD's gonna stand up here and he's gonna preach the gospel and kids are gonna get saved. And he's had this week to prepare for it. Pastor Jason, 18 years ago with Melanie, decided to take a huge cut in pay to become youth pastors. Now they're associate pastors that, that do a variety of discipling things. I'm, I'm really thankful that we as a congregation saw the value. And, and, and let me just say this. just I mean, Pastor Carl walked through those doors, walked in, saw what was going on because it was different than what he was raised in and educated in. He pronounced over everybody, all you are going to hell, and walked back out again never to come back. And now I think he's one of the greatest Pentecostal preachers around. You know what I mean? So all of these things, and let's just keep going, guys. I mean, Dina and Jeff and, you know, Brett. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I should have mentioned one name and nobody else was like, well, you didn't mention me. I I mean, everybody, everybody that draws income from the offerings given to the ministry. Let me say this to you. It allows us, we're not paying ministers. We're creating ministry. That makes sense? So thank you for that, and, and I believe with all my heart that as you do, because God's plan has always been in the New Testament, the local church. As you do, you're presenting the kingdom of God. You're promoting the kingdom of God. I believe, and Scripture bears it out, that as we do this, there's a reward for you. It's an eternal investment. Now, true or false, you've already received the offering? Okay. So this isn't like so now give now reach into your neighbor's person, take their wallet, and just give like you've always wanted to. That's we're not doing that, right? <laughs> Second thing, though, is the mission of the church. I, I think every church should hold a corporate vision or, or maybe a, what you call an assignment from the Lord or an anointing for specific things that they are called to do. Um, there, there's the ministry. That's the servant leadership, the, the resource that's needed, the buildings and so forth. And then there's the mission. That's where they're leading us. That's, that's where they're serving us. So our missions include, like, I, anybody have any idea how many people were here Thursday night? We, we try to guesstimate, and the best I can do is, like, count the ears and divide by two, but that didn't work. It didn't last very long. So someone said between four and 5,000 people were here the other night. Well, that's, that's part of our mission. Like, like I, mean, I don't know if you know this or not, we did that kind of without breaking a sweat. That wasn't like everybody had to take, like, a week off. Because, like, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Now, vacation Bible school, we all need a week off after that. But a one-night event with 5,000 people, like, psh, come on, what are we going to do after lunch? You know, there's a grace on this house to do large events that bring thousands of people to expose them to the love of God. You see that? That's part of our assignment. It always has been. Um, online church, so right now as I'm speaking, by the time next week rolls around, four to 7,000 people will have watched this online. It's a little disappointing, and if you're watching from Arkansas, Alabama, Arkansas, babe, where are they coming from? Mississippi. I think in pictures. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mississippi, so if you're driving up here, um, for Thursday night service. You're all excited about There's no Thursday night service this week. Sorry about that. Come trick-or-treat at my house. Call the church. Bring the whole family. Let's trick-or-treat at my house. But we are um, not trick-or-treating. That's evil. But we're going to hand out candy to people's children. <laughs> anyway. Um, but online church is reaching thousands of people. Children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry—we already talked about those. Clara's Hope, uh, our ministry to, to the uh, the foster world and the adoptive world, where we are literally helping with the fine. I mean, you know what it takes? You know how much money it takes to a, legally adopt a child in that process? Like we're you guys are listen with the giving of of this this other dollar, this missions dollar, that the mission of the church, the, the tithes, if you will, and the offerings, if you will. These offerings our, it's the mission of our church, right? Center of Hope, marriage ministries. People are getting counseled. Their marriages are getting healed up. Um, missions. We support between $50 and $300 a month. 51, 52 separate missionaries all over the world. Places I can tell you about, and places if I told you about, I, I'd get them in trouble, and they, they might even get imprisoned or killed. It's, it's amazing what's happening. And then church planting. How many guys, I'm, I'm excited about church planting. Anybody else? I'm excited about church planting. I think that planting a church, every church has a story. I love being a part of that story. Um, right now, we're helping 18 separate church planters plant their churches. But one of the church planters has in mind, it's, it's a large church in the Lansing area. They have the resources. They have the, the leadership funnel. Uh, Four or 5,000 people go there on a Sunday. We're helping them plant 100 churches in the next 10 years. So we talk about the mission Please don't, you're like, oh, that's great. We, we bought pumpkins for little kids. Yes, we did, and it was awesome. And apple cannons, how many need one now? You didn't know you needed one. But thir- you know, Friday night, it's like, I need one, you know? Um, it's more than that. It, it, literally, there are, there's eternity and kingdom expanding and being effective. This is one of my favorite ones recently. Uh, that man standing behind the pulpit's not me. That's Caleb Isaac. Excuse me. That's Pastor Caleb Isaac. Isaac, who was trained in this church, had a heart to plant a church somewhere, Schwartz Creek. When he came to me for Schwartz Creek, it was like he just met the girl he's gonna marry. He was so excited. He knew that he knew that he knew. And all the negotiation, all the fighting, all the building a team, and that's their opening Sunday where 209 people gathered to, to see the birth of something that I believe is gonna last until Jesus comes. Somebody say amen, right? So um, lastly is this. Is, I believe that God's heart, you want an eternal investment, man, plant a church. My eternal investment, be a part of a local church and, and what it takes to be a local church. But let me just say this, if you, if you really, like if there's one investment that might be better than all the other ones, find people that are in need. I, I don't know what it is about God and people in need. I don't know what it is about how, how they're just so different in his heart, but maybe it'd be the same with us if we had kids that had food and kids that didn't. Where would our heart be? If we had kids that were safe and kids that were in danger. Where would your heart be? Not that God doesn't love you. I'm just saying he's a good God, he's a good father, and some of his kids are hungry and in danger right now. Where do you think his heart is? I'm not saying his heart is with us. But I'm saying if we had to make a call, where would our heart be more? Would it be with the child in danger or the child that's in our arms? We love them both. Come on. But our heart's gonna be with those in need, and maybe that's where this is coming from. The Bible is full of scriptures. Look at this, Leviticus 19.10. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for Who? The poor and the foreigner. And I, every time you see the Old Testament law, I am the Lord your God, it's, I'll, I always translate, because I'm your father, that's why. Why would we do that? That's a perfectly good grape sitting on the ground. I planted this, you watered it, that's mine. Why would I leave it there? It's because I'm your father, that's why. And, and I love that. Look at this next one. I love, Leviticus 23 tells us something else about God's heart of generosity. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings." Now we're talking about wheat or barley, uh, the gleanings of your harvest. So if, yeah, while you're picking stuff, if seeds fall off, don't go around picking up seeds. It's a big pile of seeds. Don't pick it up. That belongs to somebody else. He says, leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Because I'm your father, that's why. Now, why do you think God would leave the edges of the field and not a big clump in the middle? This is what I think. Because I think if it's in the middle of the field, I'm, I'm walking in shame. In front of everybody that's working the field. In front of the village that's next to the field. In front of the people around the field. As a poor person, I have to walk all the way, vulnerable, exposing myself to grab a handful of wheat, and then walk back with these little meager sheaves in my hand. And I believe this. I believe God honors people. And so he said, let the edge of the field. Just don't do it. Why? Because as I'm walking down the path, I can just reach over and grab a handful, pull the heads off, and stick it in my mouth, and eat grape nuts for the rest of the morning. I mean, I've grape nuts. The biggest lie in all of advertising history. They are neither grapes nor nuts. They should have called them gravel, and you're nuts if you eat them. Right? Proverbs 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord... And he, God himself, will reward them for what they've done. You want to bless one of my kids? You're on the Christmas card list. Amen? That's what he's saying. You really want to return on your investment? Find one of my kids that needs you. Proverbs 28, verse 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. If your eyes are light, then your house is filled with light. If your eyes are dark, and how great is that darkness within you? When Solomon's describing the perfect woman in Proverbs 31, he doesn't describe her hips, her or lips, or her fingertips in any way, shape, or form. There's no physical description of her beauty. But what there is is a, uh, a spiritual description of the beauty of her heart when he says this. She opens her arms to the poor. Not, not her hands. Her arms <laughs> to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Isn't that beautiful? I, wa- I want to show you one of the greatest treasures of our lives, Dina and I. These are some of the faces in Haiti The little boy in the upper right hand corner who stole my hat, my treasured hat, by the way, (laughs) had a lot of meaning to it. He took it off my head and put it on his, and I didn't want it back. Those glasses, under Sheriff Chris Swanson's custom made whatever glasses, they belong to him now. Because when an orphan takes a hat off your head, it's not a bill that you pay, it's a blessing that you receive. This little guy down here with a plate full of food. That plate of food cost 50 cents. I don't know who gave it. I wish, I wish it was me. I don't know if it's me. I don't know it's you. It's you, 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 or I don't know. That's not a bill that I pay. That's a blessing that I get to receive. How many of you guys realize it really is more blessed to, than it is to, it really is. My wife is a beautiful woman. And as she is extending her arms to the poor, there's a story I don't have time to tell about that little girl that she sold in there. But even by Haitian standards, that kid is poor and alone. And you know, my wife extended her arms to the poor and gave her hands to the needy. Let me talk to the women who are not married. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. There are certain things that are far more beautiful inside of you that godly men will be attracted to. Nothing more beautiful than a woman worshiping her Jesus. Nothing more beautiful than a woman whose arms are extended to the poor. Her hands are free to give. You want to catch a bass, you use surface lures. You want to catch a carp, use stink bait. That's all I'm saying. You love Jesus, run as hard as you can for God. Every once in a while, look on the left and the right. and If any guy's keeping up with you and he's cute, ask him to coffee. If he's not, you just keep running until you find one that is run run I, I know I'm over is that okay I'm over but I'm about eight minutes earlier than normal anybody know where the first $10,000 went that we when we received offerings to build this building anybody know where the first $10,000 went anybody huh somebody what I'm sorry just all someone's I was like Bleh. Clara Soap nope nope they went to Mexico Up in the Sierra Madres is a group of unconquered people that the conquistadors never found called the Mazateco Wabla de Jimenez Indians. They don't speak Spanish, they don't come out of the hills. They're the Hatfield and McCoys of the Appalachians, if you will, of Mexico. Um, When laws are broken, men with machetes go out with torches, they find the guilty parties, they hack them to pieces, and there's no trials. But they don't have much crime because there's quite a deterrent for those who would be criminals. There's no politics, there's no chief and they've been up there for as long as anybody has ever remembered. They have their own histories, kind of bizarre stuff, but they've been up there forever. We were given the opportunity to go up and preach the gospel to an unreached people group 10, 12, 15 years ago, and the churches began to grow. We planted a church in Boladero, the first ever Monsateco church building. Um, we went back the next two years doing medical and then outreach, and then we expanded to... Um, San Mateo I remember the name of the town up on the patio it wasn't patio Glacia. Glacier JD what's the name the one on the hill that they built nobody it doesn't matter you wouldn't remember it anyway it's Bob it's name is Bob they went up to Bob and and we built a building there the first $10,000 given to build this building we built it for the poorest people we knew as far away as we could go they would never be able to pay us back in a thousand years why why because we believe with all of our heart that if we'll care for the poor, God will care for us. If we extend our hands, if we open our arms, we live this way. So I'm trying to say to you guys. This isn't some, some theology to get you separated from your income and make you cry. This is the way we live as the leadership of Freedom Center Church. This is the way we plan budgets as a deacon board. This is the way the staff looks at calendars. We believe with all of our heart that investing in the local church as the ministry, investing in the mission of the church and kingdom builders, investing in as part of kingdom builders, the poor, and the alms for, for those that are in need, we, we believe that God will take care of us. And I will say this to you as well. Please hear me. We've been around since 1961. We've never been late on a bill once. Now, I've been late on a bill. You've been late on bills sometimes, right? But the church has never been late on a bill. There's never a time where there wasn't enough to take care of what we were doing. We've never laid off a staff member, ever, since 1961. How does that work? I have no idea. Any more than a gardener knows how a cucumber seed becomes pickles. No idea, except it does. These are not bills. These are blessings. God's people are to be marked by a corporate generosity and the accompanying joy built on faith and God's love, God's compassion, and God's generosity. Last question, stand your feet. I'll ask it to you. And I will let you go sometime in the next 45 minutes. So today was not about, now get out your checkbook and let's support this cause. I'm not saying we're against that. I'm just saying that today was a teaching to help you kind of get this focused in hopes that the Holy Spirit will build a bridge of about 10, 12 inches to the core of your being. Dean and I have chosen to live this way to the best of our ability, and we're growing in it. And we're perfect at it. We're not. We're not, but we're growing in it. We've watched our sons We've watched our friends. We've watched our daughter-in-law, soon-to-be daughter-in-laws. We've watched our staff. Like, I'm not saying this works, this methodology. Forget methodology. God will take care of those who take care of what belongs to God. The church belongs to God, and the needy belong to God and the hungry belong to God, and our children belong to God, and the youth belong to God, and the young adults belong to God, and as far as I'm concerned, Fenton belongs to God, and a 15-mile radius from the front doors of this church belongs to God. So we're going to do what we can to make sure that we redeem with what God has put in our hands what belongs to God. It might be in the wrong hands today, but it won't be in the wrong hands forever if we continue. And can I just suggest to you that we haven't tackled huge problems like sex trafficking? we haven't tackled huge problems like what happens to islands when hurricanes wipe it into the sea. I believe there's more for us to do, but let's just start with what we have. Somebody say amen. I believe these are eternal investments. So are you storing up for yourself in the right place? I should empty my 401k and give it to the poor. If Jesus tells you to do that, I'd, I'd obey him, but I'm not telling you to do that. And I, I, I honestly can I just, I don't think Jesus is telling many people in the history of the world to do that either. I I think you can do more in your retirement with with great income to be generous in the latter years of your life than to give it all away now and have to build it all back up again and go into credit card debt. And that's just wisdom. That's not not the Holy Spirit speaking. That's the unholy Jim just talking to you. Okay? I'm not saying that was Jesus. I'm not even saying that was good, but I'm saying I said it. So you do whatever he tells you to do. Close your eyes all this room. Father, I pray for those that have to now take a look at stuff the way they handle stuff and where their treasure is and where their heart is. don't know where your treasure is, that's fine. Just show me where your heart is. I bet you there's treasure there. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to redefine what prosperity actually looks like in our lifetime as a church, as friends, as a family of faith. Help us to redefine for a world around us that thinks he who dies with the most toys wins. Help us to redefine what it means to be truly prosperous and blessed. It's funny, I think Bill Gates knows this sometimes more than the average person, or Warren Buffett, giving away billions and billions and billions of dollars to to eradicate world problems. If only everybody had a heart to eradicate world problems. Yes, the, the poor things only have several billion dollars left. I get it. But Jesus, I pray, help us to see the importance of the next generation, the importance of the local church. The importance, God, of missions, the importance of caring for people that you care about and not not adding shame to need, not injury and insult, God, to those that are going through a rough season, but honor. We build them up, God, that the poor would not stay poor, that those in need would some at some point refresh others, God. And we see that all the time. People who came for food, now giving food. Children saving up their change for a year to buy a turkey for our next family. God, I just I thank you for a generous, beautiful, evolving culture that's growing from faith to faith. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'll let you go in 90 seconds. If you're here today and you're like, Jim, good sermon on money. I never saw it that way or hey, that didn't offend me for once or, you know, whatever. But I didn't come here to be taught. I actually walked in this room because I'm not right with God. And I was hoping that by the time I left, somebody would say something to me that would help me. In next 60 seconds, I'm going to tell you a story. From the foundations of the world, God has loved mankind, but mankind has not always returned that love to God. God gave us laws through Moses, and he told us not to kill each other, lie to each other, told us to rest, told us not to glean our fields a certain way so that people who had nothing could, could walk through our land and be blessed and not starve or faint on the road. He's a good God. I mean, (laughs) he's God and he's good. But 2,000 years ago, he did the greatest single act of kindness that will never be matched in in all of history, in all of eternity. The Bible says that the word of God, the promise of God, the the prophecy of God took on flesh. And the person of Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us, he showed us what glory looked like. He never sinned. There's nowhere in any history book, there's nowhere in any other than like silly works of fiction is there any sort of accusation against anything but a perfect morality. No one ever accused Jesus of stealing a thing, lying about anything. No one ever proved that he'd lost his his cool, that he lusted, that he coveted. There's, There's none of that. Literally history and scripture both echo the same thought that this man lived like no other man before him because he wasn't just man. He was God. And he died on a cross, a simple sinner's death, not because he was a murderer, not because he was a thief, not because he was a liar, but because people that he loved were. There was no forgiveness for my lies, just justice. And then a perfect Jesus took justice, the beating that was coming for me, he took justice. By his stripes, I've now been healed. I've been set free. It's a gift. He was wounded because of my transgressions. He was bruised because of my iniquities. He was chastised so that I could know peace. He, he, was, he was torn to ribbons so that I could be healed on the inside and on the outside. And if you're here today, and you're like, that's, that's why I came. What do I do next? You would be shocked at how profound and how simple this is. You literally turn to him, and, and the, the greatest ascent that you have available to you. Will I feel something? Will I not feel something? Will I know something? I'm not going to predict what's about to happen. I just know this is the path for you to walk, and Jesus is waiting for you right now. I was 16 years old. I prayed something very simple. My God, I don't know you, and I want to. I'm lost, and I need to be found. I'm scared, and I need you to give me peace. I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven. And, And you know what God did? He did everything I asked him to do. He's a prayer away and he stands before you now having waited for all eternity for this moment of decision in your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I'm not ready with God. I came here today because I want to. I'm ready. I want this. I accept Jesus if that's you. I want to remember you in my closing prayer. I just simply ask that you raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. And hands go up. Father, I thank you that your mercy never ends. Never ends. Say this with me all over this room. Said Jim, I didn't, I didn't raise my hand, I know, but let's make an environment for people around us that's family. Let's make sure everybody feels comfortable and, and welcomed and blessed. Say this with me right now. Jesus, I was wrong. And you were right. Forgive me. Set me free. Give me a fresh start. From this day forward, I belong to you. You belong to me. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your word, and I'll see you soon. Amen. People are coming forward right now. These are trusted people, people that are elders among us and people we really have a great respect for, and their ministry is just to pray for people that need anything. So you might have come for a teaching on money, and I didn't come to get saved. I came because of something else. Then the something else is right here waiting for you. And before you walk out those doors... Man, 30 seconds of courage to walk forward and tell somebody what you're really going through and let them pray for you. It can change your life. It can change your eternal life. In the meantime, have you guys learned anything about giving today? Say amen. amen. All right. So, Father, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine on us. Every time we look up to heaven, we may not see a scolding, angry God, but a, but a countenance that is bright and shiny looking at us saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. And be gracious unto us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Live long, prosper. We'll see you soon. Prayer this way. Go get your hits. Oh, remember next steps class, guys. First steps. Right out the door to the left. You through.